I understand the 15 yard penalties and so forth, gaining control of the game and stuff. I just, you know, Trey is not a young guy. He's not overly emotional. He's a flatliner. For him to respond the way that he responded, you know, what transpired had to transpire. And I was stating that case to them. Uh, I didn't believe he did enough to be kicked out of the football game. That was just my opinion. Whacking that thing around. Foster Moreau's over to the left. They stack three receivers. Lobbing it toward Moreau. Got it. How about that touchdown pass? Jackpot, baby. Derek is down. Derek is down. Derek Carr is down. He took a hit on the back of his legs by number 40, Jameer Jones. He is down on the floor, on the ground right now, Brent. Come on. Uh, I'm disappointed we lost the game, and I'm disappointed that I didn't play well enough to help us win the game. You know, the bumps and bruises come with football. I'm not really sure. I'm just got to get it figured out, though, because I, I am frustrated that uh, I'm not playing well enough. The good news is it's still early. You know, we got a long road ahead of us. You know, we got a lot of time to try and get it fixed. Just being a little sarcastic and having a little fun here. This is my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. No, 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 no. No, there's no sadness today. You can't have sadness on Victory Monday. You can't. It's all W's on Victory Monday. You can't have anything less than joyous exclamations. The Raiders are 2-0, and we are here to celebrate and not say anything negative. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Adam Candy, Willie Ramirez on the press box here on ESPN Las Vegas. Grady and Bischoff are back in tomorrow. They'll have plenty more Raiders talk. Uh, Obviously, Uh, We spent a lot of time earlier, Willie, talking about the Las Vegas Raiders offense and the fact that they have really opened things up. According to Hayden Winks uh, on Twitter, they have the most air yards, as in the ball thrown through the air prior to the catch, of any team in the NFL through two weeks. Uh, 420 air yards for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, John Gruden has come out of 1989 and into 2021, especially without Josh Jacobs. But... um, You know, let's actually flip it to the other side because we spent a lot of time, myself in particular, talking about how this Raiders defense, if it were able to get to, let's even say average, would be a massive, massive step forward. And have they fixed everything through two weeks? Obviously not. But after a game in which they give up 17 points and get multiple big stops when they had to, I think we have to at least ask the question of how much better is the Raiders defense. If I go down the pro football focus grades from yesterday's game, um, there are some pretty impressive ones at some pretty key positions. How about this? The highest graded player for the Raiders yesterday was Casey Hayward. Through two games, he has been targeted five times and given up zero receptions. Trayvon Mullen, second round pick from a couple of years ago, the fourth highest graded player for the Raiders at 75 and a half he's been targeted seven times through two games and only given up four catches for uh 65 yards total nate hobbs has a high grade max crosby leads the nfl in pressures through two weeks so willie how much better is the raiders defense because the ravens offense was a bit crippled with three starting running backs down. Of course, he still had to deal with Lamar Jackson. And we know that Pittsburgh has struggled to get anything going on the offensive side of the ball. So is this just about the Raiders being better? Is it about facing some bad offenses? What's happening on the defensive side for Gus Bradley? Uh, what's happening is that you are seeing a team that we talked, the, the same concept that we talked about in the opening segment, 
in that this team has come together to trust one another, believe in one another, and play for one another. Um, I have said this so much. I've written about this. I've mentioned this in that last year there was so much pressure put on certain people or to within certain units to do certain things rather than coming together and playing for one another. There's really not been anyone stand out. The only time you're hearing about guys individually, what they're talking about is either they're either getting praised or they're talking about additions to the unit because they played under Bradley, such as KJ Wright or Denzel Perryman and, and being able to sort of just blend or Hayward as a veteran coming in to help this team, this or this unit. Okay has come together under Gus Bradley in a mentorship that is so positive, so energetic. A guy who, you know, a great head coach lets his coordinator do what he does. A great coordinator lets his position coaches do what they do under their close watch. Bradley goes from station to station. He's done that all through training camp. He did that all through preseason. He encourages, but he lets his coaches do what they do. Marinelli has been fantastic with his defensive line drills you're seeing Miles with the secondary the bottom line is these guys are coming together the youthful energetic potential talent led by one or two veterans that aren't necessarily telling them what to do but they're sort of just guiding them and leading by example and guys are just buying into the philosophy and playing for one another yes the Ravens were banged up okay and yes Ben Roethlisberger is not Lamar Jackson, but yes, the Raiders defense is 100% improved. They have a completely different energy that they play with. They have a completely different confidence and swag that they step on the field with. And they feel that they're, I think that they, in the back of their minds, they are tuning up every single week. They are playing for it. They're playing with a chip on their shoulder and they know that they had to prepare throughout OTAs and training camp for one person and one unit, and that was Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Anything less than that, their, their, their demand is to walk through them and dominate. And then if they can do that, they'll be prepared for the Chiefs. So when I look at the Raiders' defense, I go directly to the coverage unit. I think that's where everything has to start and finish when we discuss, is this team any better? Let's go back through the past few years and start in 2017 when we were just seeing the very beginnings of John Gruden with the Raiders. Here are their pro football focus coverage grades going back to 2017 coming into this year. 29th, 31st, 31st, and 29th. This team has not been able to cover anyone for any length of time. And that is a significant problem going against, as you just mentioned, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs twice a year. Through two yeah. weeks, the coverage grade for the Raiders is not outstanding. It's a 63. But you know what? It ranks 13th in the league. And what did we say all offseason? Just get to average and let this offense do its job. Raiders go out and score 26 points against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is good enough in a lot of games in the NFL today, in which we saw an average of about 49 points being scored per game last year. If you score 26, you're probably going to win more than you lose if you have a representative defense. And so I think what we were stuck with for a couple of years was looking at this team and saying, why aren't the draft picks panning out? And newsflash, some of those draft picks still aren't panning out 
for the Raiders. Damon Arnett was once again terrible uh, by the grades, and and there's no covering for it. Uh, there's no covering for a 29 grade, a 29 coverage grade in 17 snaps. There's no covering for Clee Furl only playing 12 snaps after being inactive for the Baltimore game. They have whiffed on some big-time picks, but when you look at Casey Hayward coming in as a free agent and K.J. Wright, who only played 22 snaps but was their fifth-highest-graded defender, and Yannick Ngakwe and Carl Nassib all performing as top-level players, taking on down to Solomon Thomas as well, the former 49er high draft pick, they're hitting on their free agents right now, and that's really what's driving this team. It's not so much about the guys who were already here. It's about the free agents that they've brought in that have allowed this defense to at least be halfway good, and that's all they have to be, halfway good. Because if Derek Carr and John Gruden are in the kind of rhythm that it looks like they're in thus far, then that's the kind of thing that can make the Raiders a potential playoff team it's not that the guys who are here have gotten that much better it's that we have a new scheme as you mentioned with Gus Bradley and some free agents who know that scheme and even though that cover three scheme is not in vogue in the NFL today through two weeks it's worked for the Raiders teams after two weeks um, outside of the teams playing tonight um, the Raiders rank 10th in terms of 45 times they've been targeted uh, you know, on pass attempts. Once has there been a receiving, uh, a wide receiver caught a touchdown against the Raiders. Okay. There's been three teams that haven't allowed a receiver to catch a touchdown. Um, and there have been uh, a numerous, they're tied amongst a handful with only one touchdown allowed. They rank in the middle of the pack of the league in, tar- in terms of receiving yards, 387. Uh, so they're in the upper half of, of allowing receiving yards versus a receiver. They have 100%, you know, are dialed in to improve against wide receivers, to, to, to defend the pass, as you mentioned. It was a focal point all through training camp to, to sort of shore up that secondary. And you're absolutely right that Hayward was brought in to lend his experience. I think also a bright spot, Let's not forget about Hobbs. You brought him up in terms of his scoring on pro football folks. He has been, he was probably the biggest bright spot out of training camp when it comes to the secondary, maybe of all the young guys, um, just in his ability to ball hawk, in his ability to defend open field tackle and everything that he brings to that secondary with it, with a, with a football IQ and a know-how to just learning that system so quickly and just blending in with the guys, he was a fun story to write about during the preseason. You know, I caught up with his high school coach, and that this kid went so under the radar that he's always played with the chip on his shoulder. He didn't have a a, um, a scholarship offer until Louisville showed up. They were shocked that nobody had recruited this guy. So um, they definitely have an improved secondary because of what Bradley has brought in and sort of implementing that system and getting these guys to believe in themselves and their capabilities and showing. I think one of the biggest things also is moving Jonathan Abram. He was expected to do so much on pass coverage by taking him away from that and sticking him in the, and as a box safety and somewhat him allowing that to happen without any resistance and, 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 and you know, and, and cooperating as well as he did and playing the teamwork role. 
that's helped because what it's allowing other guys to do is feel comfortable and not stepping on anyone's toes. Again, I say it again. These guys have constantly talked about playing for one another, and I think that's what's helped with the secondary is them you know, just working with one another. There was the one day of training camp where they got the best of the offense, and Carr even talked about it, how upset they were you know, and wanted to get back out there to get revenge on that secondary. And then they went down to L.A. and had their way against the Rams offense, right, with Stafford there. So I think that uh, that secondary has definitely made a difference. I think the emergence of Max Crosby in that defensive line and pro- and allowing and, and um, applying so much pressure, right, to, to, to allow the secondary to do what they do. So it's a collective effort that's helped inspire that secondary. On the offensive side, on the offensive line, uh, this next minute or two is dedicated solely to John Gruden. I I want John to listen closely. I know that the only thing he has to do here on Monday morning is listen to me on the press box. And so, John, tune in to what I'm about to say. Uh, Your five lowest-graded players and six of your seven lowest-graded players yesterday were your offensive line. James Miller, Illuminor, Parker, Simpson, and Alex Leatherwood. Now, why were they your lowest graded players before you say the pro football focus guys? Why were they your lowest graded players? Because their run blocking grades were awful. But here were their pass block grades. Illuminor 88, Colton Miller 80.6, Andre James much maligned last week 75.2, John Simpson 57.7, and Brandon Parker 49, Alex Leatherwood who has not looked good through two weeks uh, has a 14. And the Raiders won the game handily. The Raiders won the game by nine points. What does that tell us? That tells us that even with a patchwork offensive line down three starters, they were able to pass block well enough. They averaged two yards per rush. You don't need to be able to establish the run, quote, end quote, in order to win games. You need to let Derek Carr throw the ball down the field. We've only been screaming it through these airwaves for multiple years now here's what we need to know we need to know that your team can be ready to throw the ball and throw the ball a lot and Derek Carr has shown through a couple of weeks that he's ready to do that that play to Henry Ruggs the offensive line had a blown assignment there was a free rusher coming in on Derek Carr he had Hunter Renfro underneath if he wanted to take it on the play where it was 16-14 in the fourth quarter and he throws the 61-yard touchdown to Ruggs. But you know what Derek Carr did? He stood in. He stood in. He knew it was coming. Derek Carr of three, four years ago dumps that ball off, maybe even throws it away. This Derek Carr stood in, knew a hit was coming, threw the defining touchdown of the game. The offense was good enough to win the game. The defense was okay, and it was enough for them to win without a running attack. And that is my message to John Gruden. John, uh, just text me later and let me know you heard it because that's important to me to to know that the message got across. Uh, When we come back here on the press box, more NFL talk. Uh, Matt Nagy weighed in on his quarterback situation in Chicago that we talked about earlier, and I don't think he understands what a scheme is. I should have just thrown it to D-Rob in the flat. I saw D-Rob in the flat, and then I saw Trav come back to me. The dude grabbed my leg. I thought I could kind of get my other leg down. Uh, he spun. He kind of spun me, and it's just a dumb, it's a dumb interception. I mean, it's probably one of the worst interceptions I've probably ever had. Patrick Mahomes talking about a September interception. Yes, Patrick Mahomes threw a September interception, and the Baltimore Ravens won a thriller on Sunday night, 36 to 35 
that is not the biggest football story of the weekend. In fact, we have not discussed the biggest football story of the weekends, but we will rectify that situation now here on the Press Box. Adam Candy and Willie Ramirez. Uh, the, the largest story in all of football this weekend came from Tucson, Arizona, where the Arizona Wildcats fell to 0-3, 0-2 at home. It's another rough weekend for the Pac-12, yet the real story is that for the first time since 1932, my Northern Arizona Lumberjacks defeated the University of Arizona for the first time in 89 years. For the first time in school history, the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks have beaten a Power 5 team. Now, you in Las Vegas might say, hey, wait a minute, NAU, I remember that school. They uh, they beat UNLV a few years ago. And you know what? You're right. They did. They defeated UNLV back at the Silver Bowl, Sam Boyd Stadium, as you might call it, a few years ago. I believe the final was 14-10, if I remember correctly. This was a 21-19 final. The Northern Arizona University Lumberjacks from the FCS, from the Big Sky, which has already registered other wins over the Pac-12 this year. Uh, Hello, University of Washington. The Northern Arizona Lumberjacks have moved to one and two on the season. They have their first win over Arizona in 89 years. That is the biggest story in football from the weekend. And Willie, I will not hear otherwise. I am right there with you. I love the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks for the fact that it's always been an outlet for the the locals. And as you know, being a longstanding Las Vegan and being in some capacity of the media since 1987 and reporting since 91 that uh, I am all over the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks, the Mike Agers days of the basketball. So I'm right there with you. Um, I, uh, I I find it interesting that we, we talked about UNLV earlier. They were beaten by an FCS national contender in Eastern Washington. Arizona is uh, gets beat by NAU. Um, I ha- I'm currently texting as we're talking live with somebody to get a line on Arizona at UNLV at Allegiant. I want to know what the line might be. So hopefully I'll get the message back in time to find out which 0-3 team would be uh, favored and what the line might be. Arizona already played out here, you know, played BYU. I'm assuming Arizona will be the favorite, but by how much? Here's the thing about uh, a potential U of A versus UNLV game. Uh, no matter who wins, we all lose. Because if we have to watch it, and we have to cover it, and we have to talk about it, that's three hours of our lives we're never getting back, and it's going to be some very bad football. Um, and I, I will be interested to see what that number is. Um, because, I'll, I'll get the text. Yeah. I'm going to get the text. Yeah. No matter which yeah. segment we're in, I'm going to let you know. Because right. our good friend Jeff Sherman is working on it right now. He texts me back. He's checking with Ed Salmon. So we're going to get a number on what that hypothetical matchup might be. Okay, so those are the guys over at the uh, Westgate Superbook who are getting getting that information together for us. Um UNLV has quarterback issues. That'll factor into that evaluation. The Chicago Bears obviously have quarterback issues. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Um, Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Bears, had his press conference today. A reporter asked him, according to Andrew Siciliano, quote, is Andy Dalton still your starter if healthy? Matt Nagy responds, quote, that's something I'm not going to get into with scheme. Reporter, that's not scheme. Nagy, yes, it is. 
Um, Willie, I, I was unaware that who the quarterback is was part of the scheme. I thought the scheme was the X's and O's on the field, not whether your retread broken down for franchise quarterback was going to, again, get in the way of your first round draft pick. Yeah, I, um, I, I guess I would imagine that the scheme could be different, but it doesn't necessarily, the answer doesn't necessarily apply or work well with the question because either way, if you still got to answer the question. So, if, and let's just say it is scheme, okay, because you got to change things for who's starting. Okay, then which scheme are you going with? How about this? Instead of saying which starter, we say, which scheme are you going with? It's it's not that hard to answer the question. They just, you know, maybe he doesn't want to reveal anything ahead of time. But uh, I, as we talked about earlier, I think that it would be, I think he goes back to Dalton because when you look at the numbers, um, and, and, if, and if he doesn't, if he doesn't, it's almost the same that we talked about with the Royal. He's somewhat admitting that he made a mistake and he should have went with Fields from the outset. In the end, when we talk about Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears, you're talking about a head coach in the final year of his contract, along with the GM, Ryan Pace. They are basically coaching for their jobs, and it's a rare thing in any coaching situation, but especially in the NFL, for a quarterback to essentially, actually for a head coach to essentially be left in the last year of the contract without just firing them before that or extending the contract. Uh, in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, Andy Dalton played 23 snaps and actually performed pretty well against a very bad Cincinnati defense. And Justin Fields was so-so. There were moments that looked good. There were moments that didn't look good. He's a rookie. That's the whole idea. If you trade up to get Justin Fields, if you give the New York Giants your first-round pick next year, then you are entrusting the franchise to Justin Fields. Now, we're not in the meeting room. We're not on the practice field. We don't know if Justin Fields is doing something that makes it so that the Chicago Bears say, eh, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but to play these games, to play the game of its scheme, to talk about whether or not the guy is the starter based on X's and O's. No, that's not it. That's just not it. This team needs to look to the future, and that's why you went up and drafted a quarterback in the first round. That's why you traded up to get Justin Fields. You traded up and used first round capital for next year because you believe Justin Fields is the future of this franchise and the most valuable asset in all of the NFL, in all of professional sports, is a good quarterback on a rookie contract in the NFL. Those first five years allow you to do everything else with your team, to spend your cap elsewhere, to build around Patrick Mahomes, to build around Josh Allen, to build around Lamar Jackson. That's why you do it. And every game that you don't put Justin Fields out there and show us what he can do and show yourselves what he can do is another game closer to no longer having Justin Fields on a rookie contract or answering the question if he's not the guy of can Justin Fields do the job in the negative but you know what we're gonna have to wait apparently longer to find out because it's a scheme question um well there, Don, there wanted, uh, Willie, Willie will, hit, we'll, 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 we'll deal with it more on the other side. Uh, Don Logan is going to join us from the Las Vegas Aviators here in a moment. Uh, we're going to find out later on who would win a game between UNLV and the University of Arizona. Slider, big chopper to first, backing up his bird. He has it, throws to Lawrence, safe! And the, here comes two runs to score! And Las Vegas wins this game 7-6 on a ground ball to first. 
Can you believe it? I can only believe it because you told us, Russ Langer, longtime voice of the Las Vegas Aviators, leading us back in here on the press box. Adam Candy, Willie Ramirez sitting in for Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff and kind enough to give us a little bit of time here on Monday morning. Don Logan from the Las Vegas Aviators. Don, what's up, man? How you doing today? Doing well. How are you guys doing? What's Willie G doing there? How'd he pull that off? I don't listen. They, they, uh, you know, they opened up the back door, and I don't know what happens. People just run in, and and then you know they end up on the air, and and, and you shut the door, and you deal with what you got. I texted Don a little bit ago because he and I and Jimmy Gemma might be the, and you Adam, you know, as far as the longest running guys. And I said, you ready to talk some old? You get a little old school. He goes, oh, I'll fit you in there. I was like, dude, I'm co-hosting the show. So see, see. See, I mean, we look. We've got nothing on the Dick Calverts of the world, but uh, you know, there, there, there are some longtime folks uh, around here. But of course, a lot of the talk for the Aviators, Donnie, is, uh, is of course new and the new stadium and having a another full season uh, in the stadium. Now, um, you know, get to really enjoy that that facility for a second year after uh, you know what happened last year. T- tell us what it's been like out at the uh, at the Las Vegas ballpark, having fans back in and, and adjusting to what was obviously some some strange circumstances at the beginning of the year. Well, on, obviously on balance, you really learn uh, losing an entire season in 2020 that uh, you know you appreciate what you've got when it's gone and. Uh, you know, 2021 has been challenging on a number of levels. You know, we started off with limited capacity. Uh, you know, even through the whole season, it, it's been challenging because the you know COVID is not going away. It, it's obviously it surged again, and it, it's something that's it's part of the equation every day. And that certainly is is, is unique. It's nothing anybody's ever dealt with, and not just us. Every team. Every school, everybody that's playing sports understands that. But I think, you know, for me, it was really, uh, it, it was great to see the numbers that we did have continue to come out. You know, one of the, this place has really got a, a special feel to it. It's a, a, a nice place to come. Uh, it's comfortable. Uh, it, it's accessible, uh, both easy to get in and out of just from the surrounding areas, from the parking, whatever. But uh, once you get in, even, it's easy to get a drink. It's easy to, to find your seats. You know, I think our staff does a fantastic job of making everybody feel welcome and uh, and safe. So it, it's been really good. You know, we still have uh, one of the things that a lot of teams, that everybody's experienced is a pretty significant no-show factor of season ticket holders. And obviously we have a significant number of season ticket holders, but there's a lot of people out there that just aren't comfortable going to gatherings. Uh, I think the fact that we're outside is something that is is unique and, and is it makes it safer. But uh, it's just you know having to deal with uh, there's there, there's a new norm right now, and we've done the best we can. And I think uh, the fans have appreciated it. You know we've we've drawn very well again compared to other teams that. You know, one of the things, our concessionaire, PSC Levy, uh, they have uh, like 40-some teams in the minor leagues, and we're their top-grossing team again this year. So 
uh, fans in Vegas are, are coming out in numbers and spending at, at a level that it's better than everybody else. So we're very lucky to have that. Don, what a lot of people don't, I mean, you know, as far as being a staple mark with the, with the original stars franchise and all the names that it's gone through, but, but, but in having professional baseball in Las Vegas, what a lot of people may not realize um, a lot of us do is the influence that you've had over the years with in other capacities, whether it be the, the Las Vegas Bowl Committee, the uh, you know things that take place with UNLV, as things grew up uh, grew with the uh, with professional sports sort of infiltrating this town, uh, your influence with the LVCVA and your involvement with a lot of the guys and the boards that have brought professional sports. Um, and I'd like to say, what have you learned? with the infusion, but I think the better question is, what have you been able to teach others in terms of as we've gotten the WNBA, the NHL, the uh, the NFL, and quite possibly the Major League Baseball and the NBA, what have you been able to infuse and you're most proud of to see your influence in what's grown from Cashman Field and the Stars up to the ballpark and the Aviators into what we now see as Las Vegas being a pro sports town? Well, hey, I don't know how much I've taught anybody. I, I think, you know, I, I've got a, a good relationship with uh, all the different organizations. I, I think one of the things I always believed about Vegas is it was just a really unique market given the number of people we have from out of town. You know, it, it for years and years, the determinant on uh, a city being able to support major league sports was the the size of, of the media market, the MSA, if you will. And I think uh, that we're still like the 38th to 39th media market in the country. I mean, there's we don't have suburbs. You know, we've got the Mojave Desert, Red Rock National Forest, and the Nellis Bombing Range, and Lake Mead. You know, we don't have uh, communities of any substantial size. Uh, you know. You, Trump is about it. And so to do what has to be done in terms of just pure numbers, that's something that, uh, you know, I'm even at this point, as we talk to the A's about their examination of this market, you know, that they're very concerned about the, just the, the, the media market size and the world has changed as you both know, you know, it's uh, you, the, the ability to reach people is different and more, profound today than it's ever been in the history of mankind. And so you add that to with all of the amenities that we have as a community. I mean, you just, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky I sit here and look out my window and I can see the strip and, you know, nobody has anything like that. And uh, people come here in numbers, unlike anywhere else. We have more quality hotel offerings. And the, I think it's the second most rooms to any city in the world except New York, you know, you've got you've got things here that just make uh, make sports and and you know make it make it work for the Knights, the Raiders, Ace, anybody. Uh, and I think one of the, the real challenges that you have to overcome, uh, you know, Mark Bedane when he was still with the Raiders, he and I talked about this a number of times. Is who cares if it's people from Vegas? You know, I think I've heard a number that 70% of the premium customers at Legion Stadium are from out of market. Well, that's fine. That's that's exactly what Vegas wants. We want people to come here. We want them to come on Friday night for a Sunday game and enjoy the 
the, the dining and the shopping and the gaming and all the other attractions we have in the valley that that's going to make us stronger economically it's going to it provides jobs for locals it's just a, a you got to take the mindset of you know Dean Spanos was always ticked off that there was more visiting fans at the Charger games in San Diego than there was uh, Charger fans well that had a lot to do with the product they were putting on the field at for for different periods of time but you know I think that you know San Diego's a destination Vegas is a destination if we embrace that and accept it and I know the Knights have had a tough time with that I know that uh, you know Carrie and I have talked about that that's that's hard for them but it's it's what Vegas is all about I mean MGM certainly enjoys having the visiting team fans show up here and that's a, we're a melting pot community it brings people out uh, you know, I think as much as anything, I, that's probably a topic that comes up with everybody when we talk. And But in terms of teaching them anything, you know, do the right thing, you know, uh, be a good community partner. That's that's what we've always done. That's why we've been able to to, to succeed and in, in this instance up here to flourish. So it just, you know, it, it's pretty basic, simple stuff. I'm a simple dude. I can't do a whole lot more than that. Don Logan, president of the Las Vegas Aviators, talking to us here on the Press Box about the Las Vegas sports scene, uh, of which, as Willie mentioned, uh, Don has had a great hand in guiding and shaping over the years. Don, um, you know, as the as the landscape has expanded to the Golden Knights, to the Raiders, et cetera, et cetera, um, how have you as a franchise kind of honed in on who that core fan is for the aviators and who your season ticket holders are and how you've been able to to get them to come out to the ballpark uh, out in Summerlin to the Las Vegas ballpark because uh, you know just speaking as a you know as a casual who's gone out a few times and and you know gone in on a Saturday night and enjoyed being among a good crowd you, you seem to have uh, you seem to have a pretty good base of folks who you know it's not the crowd coming necessarily from out of town it's more the locals and it's more the folks who uh, probably have been been with you for a while I mean, we we focus on the locals. Uh, we do just again, like I just mentioned. There's so many people in from out of town. We do get a good number of uh, visitors coming out here. There's a curiosity about the ballpark. I think there's a curiosity about Summerlin, and I think a lot of visitors when they get out here, they they're shocked that it's like Vegas is it's normal. You know, Red Rock looks just like a hotel. So, but you know, our focus is on locals. We're over 90% local driven. I think our staff, I think uh, two of our uh, guys are very tech savvy, uh, Chuck Johnson and Eric Eisenberg. And we, you know, we do things that a lot of big league teams do. You know, we spend a lot of money collecting data. You know, we know who our customers are. We, we can, uh, you know, we can mine that data via credit card purchases, via contact we get from, uh, website hits you know we use i think we have five different platforms we play for or pay for to to really understand who's coming out here how often they come out here when they come you know you can find out uh, a lot of information that uh, a lot of people don't like the fact that you have access to it but it, it really tells you that you know uh, certain fans like to come on the two dollar beer night on thursdays uh, fans Come regularly on fireworks. Uh, other fans like to come Monday and Tuesday night when it's not as crowded. And you really, you can really target your audience and 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 speak to them one on one uh, via 
uh, email, uh, via text blast, things like that. And, you know, we've embraced that. We were doing that back at Cashman. I mean, Cashman was hand-to-hand combat every day. It was when we figured out how to make it work down there, this is a piece of cake compared to dealing with the, what we had to to get people to come out down there. But, you know, uh, Chuck and Eric have done a great job leading our staff to understand how to to effectively use the, the information that's available to us and to turn it into customers. And that's why I, big, that's the number one reason we're, we've done so well. Okay. Um, and, and, and of that crowd, you talked about, you know, earlier and, and, and sort of overcoming the pandemic. The one thing that's intriguing about the fan base of this franchise has has always been the sort of the carryover and you have some um some pretty special patrons some season ticket holders that are from the original team um i believe the year before you had gotten here um the can you talk about just that if i want to say if i if i'm not mistaken don there was like five or six maybe eight i know one of them was charlie and donna thomas but season ticket holders, every single year since the franchise got here, and they had the opportunity to come in on that opening season and handpick their seats. Um, and just how special that is to have people like that and that carryover, you know, because you have the younger generation that loves to come out to the ballpark because of the location and the promotions that you provide and, and the atmosphere and going out to a ball game. But the longstanding relationships that you've been able to establish with the old-timers um, and I say that with respect, the, the, the old school folk here in Las Vegas. Well, again, it, it's, it's part of just treating people right. You know, uh, we always have done that. It, it's something that's really important to us. Uh, you know, Richard and Barb Kent, you know, he's not going to miss a baseball game. She's not going to miss a baseball game no matter where it is in Southern Nevada. Uh, I talked to Michael Gunn. After we built this place, and uh, you know, Michael's been incredibly supportive and loyal through the years. And uh, you know, he was laughing. He said, "How much more in demand our tickets were at Las Vegas Ballpark than they had become at Cashman." And you know, it, it's just it, again, the facility is is second to none. It's top notch. It's easy to get in and out of. There's plenty of things to do before and after the game downtown Summerlin or at the Red Rock. Uh, it, it's you know, it's just been, uh, uh, there's something about, you know, I think it's just being loyal. I, I think that, you know, I, I stress that to our people all the time that, you know, we are, we, we'll work with and do whatever we can to keep our loyal fans happy and keep them comfortable and, and coming back out. And, you know, when they need a favor, if they've got a friend or family member in town, they need an extra ticket, we'll figure out a way to try to at Cashman, it was easy. Up here, it's a little more difficult, but we'll maybe move them to a different location so they can sit together for a game or two. And just little things that a lot of teams aren't going to do because it, it, it takes some effort. It takes uh, it, It's a little more challenging sometimes to, to pull that off, but we're always going to do that. We're going to take care of these people. They've, you know, professional baseball is really, to me, it's the foundation that whenever any of these teams came and looked at what worked and what didn't work here, you know, 27 other franchises came and went uh, while we were uh, in existence and flourishing at Cashman. And 
And when we came out here, obviously you've got major league sports is now in the landscape and it's a different animal in that respect too, just from a price point and a, uh, you know, a commitment financially is different. So the, the fan is a little bit different socioeconomically, but we've, you know, we've been able to capture the, everybody, you know, we've got uh, fans from all walks of life who come out here regularly. Uh, and like you mentioned, the good loyal fans that we've had through the years, they're, they're really the special ones that, that helped sustain us until we got into this uh, beautiful new ballpark. Well, Don, I hope people have had a chance to come out and enjoy it. If they haven't, get on out to Las Vegas Ballpark for a game and uh, enjoy all that it has to offer, the facilities, the game, and uh, and everything else. And as always, sir, your time is greatly appreciated, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Thank John. you. Bye, boys. See you later. All right. Closing it out with uh, – oh, oh, no. Oh, don't make me talk about the Yankees, Jared. Wrapping up the press box here on a Monday morning, Adam and Willie. Uh, let me ask you a qu- couple of quick fire questions here, Willie. American League and National League wild card races are just lit. And yes, I said lit. Uh, who's going to win in both sides? I'm going Boston, Toronto. The Yankees will fade. They've been absolutely tanking as of late. Yeah. And in the National League, I'm going with the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Well, I, I wish I could argue with you about my New York Yankees. I thought yesterday was the day things would at least stabilize a little bit. And then Garrett Cole went out there and represented UCLA about as well as Chip Kelly did this weekend. Goodness gracious, my New York Yankees are a dumpster fire here at the moment. Grady and Bischoff, back with you tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We out!